This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, today about 15 million people care for a loved one with Alzheimer's in the United States, a role that is difficult and yet rewarding. But knowing what to expect and preparing for the challenges can help people who are caring for those with Alzheimer's live better. Here with more on just how to do that are Kaylin Brainerd and Lynn Nugent, geriatric resource nurses at Upstate Medical University. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having Now this us. is a really big topic and an important topic and I know you both have been working in this field for a while. Let's begin, Kaylin, let's begin by discussing what some of the more common challenges and coping strategies that people can use. Let's start with things like changes in communication because it seems to me that's one of the most prominent things that does change when you have someone that you care about who has Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the most prominent. We see it a lot. And um, I think of a lot of the changes, it's probably the most difficult. As Alzheimer's and dementia first sets in, a lot of the patients can kind of hide it at first. You know, they make up little stories that sounds reasonable to hide that, you know what, I just forgot so-and-so's name or I forgot that what I was supposed to do later on. Um, and then as the process continues to take over, you start to see more of like the stuttering. They can't really get what they want to say out. Um, that's both frustrating for the caregiver as well as the individual with the Alzheimer's or dementia. And then they start losing their words. Um, and it really gets to a point where some of them just can't even communicate the whole they become very kind of silent and exactly isolated. the whole communication process just isn't there for them anymore so what do you recommend to people um, I think the biggest I mean to the thing, caregivers around them right I think the biggest thing is patience at this point um, it's really important that if your loved one is still able to communicate and they're struggling to find those words let them find the words don't finish sentences for them allow them to get what they need to say out um, if you start to see that you know, they're skirting by day by day and they're kind of making up little stories and you're like, you know, I don't really remember her doing that. And it's still the beginning stages of Alzheimer's and they maybe not have been diagnosed with it yet. It's really important to look into that and maybe have a doctor look at them and kind of see if, you know, maybe Alzheimer's is starting to set in. So kind of catching on those little things in the beginning. How about this idea of correcting or criticizing someone? Let's say they say something and it's clearly not right. Right. What, what's the important thing to remember there for the caregiver? For the caregiver, it's frustrating on their end. They know something's not right, and they know they want to correct their loved one. Um, but in general, should they avoid that? They should. They should allow, kind of live in their world. If that's what they're going to say and that's what they believe, you're not going to change them in the end. You know, they're going to continue to believe that because they've forgotten whatever they're trying to say. And basically that idea of arguing with them is kind of so demeaning right. that it's really important to kind of sustain their dignity exactly. through the process. Yes, exactly. So, Lynn, let me talk to you about driving. That's another problem that comes up right away. And, you know, when you notice that someone really doesn't have the ability to be coherent in their thoughts or remember things, that idea of them being behind the wheel can be somewhat frightening. What do you recommend for people in terms of how best to deal with that? I think everything goes back to communication. Um, if you're starting to notice changes with your loved one, you should have those talks immediately. Make it very honest and open. Um, you're going to want to talk about what do you want to happen if something were to happen? So you're going to want to make sure that you know what their wishes are, especially for end of life. You know what their wishes are um, for what course they want to take. And also you want to establish that they have a 
accurate healthcare proxy. Once you do those things, you can certainly open that conversation up to driving. I think a lot of older people are resistant to giving up their keys because they don't want to lose that independence. Um, if there is any way that you can open that conversation up and say, you know, if I'm feeling like you're being unsafe, I'm going to take those keys away just because we want you to be safe. So you want to give them that option and kind of make them feel like they're in the decision making process instead of just going ahead and taking those keys away and not giving them an explanation at all. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what you just said about the idea of having that conversation to begin with, you were talking about, in a sense, advanced care planning yes. or the advanced directives as well, so that while the person maybe still has their cognitive abilities to understand what mm -hmm. they would want Absolutely. is very important. And I think that was a, that's a key point. And then from the driving standpoint, clearly, there are alternatives out there. We don't have a huge amount in our area, but there are some alternative resources for people to know about. There are organizations that will pick people up, and there are also, you know, there's paid transportation. Yep. So, so the upstate geriatricians have a case, case manager that they work with. Um, there is a phone number to get a hold of their office, but that case manager can help to arrange rides for appointments, um, rides for other things as well. And I believe they may have a social worker that works with them, but they do a lot of case management and follow-up. So families we can, can have, tap into that as well. That's a very good suggestion. We'll have a link to the Upstate Geriatrician's Office on our website as well so people can get that information. There are also organizations like FISH, I know of, in, in, the, in the eastern suburbs, um, Friends in Service Helping, who actually are volunteers who will drive seniors <coughs> around. So. So transportation should be something to be taken care of, but clearly your point about advanced directives and that kind of conversation is very, very essential. How about things like emotional problems, Kaylin? You know, it seems to me that depression is, is classic for the elderly, not every person, but can be. How do you tease out what is depression versus what is the Alzheimer's? It's definitely tough, and it's probably one of the biggest obstacles I think um, healthcare workers have to go through with patients who have dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, what do we generally see in terms of symptoms? Just go through they're that. They're very similar. Alzheimer's symptoms are very similar to depression symptoms. I mean, you're going to lose the communication. The individual is going to be withdrawn. They're not going to want to take part in activities again. Um, and that's what makes it so difficult. And I, I think just the diagnosis of Alzheimer's itself just increases their chance for Alzheimer or for uh, depression in the beginning anyways, that the it biggest thing, on it. exactly, and it just makes it worse and worse and kind of that snowball effect for the individual. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with geriatric resource nurses Kaylin Brainerd and Lynn Nugent, and we're talking about strategies for living with someone with Alzheimer's disease. Do you think when it comes to depression, it's important to get a formal diagnosis at that time, not just of Alzheimer's, but perhaps what degree is depression so that treatment might follow, proper treatment might follow? I think it's definitely important to get a diagnosis for it. I don't know if so much at what point they are at, um, but there are some medications or different kind of activities that the loved one could do with their individual who has Alzheimer's or dementia that could help potentially bring back the Alzheimer's a little and make their their functional ability Give um, me Give me better. an example of what you're talking about. Uh, a lot of the times we see that the caregivers get a lot of um, stress just on themselves caring for their loved one. And you kind of see that sometimes these individuals just 
you know, they stay in the house because it's easy. They know their surrounding. It's predictable. And that adds more depression onto the patient with dementia or Alzheimer's. So you're saying the caregiver, in an effort to cope with the difficulty of taking care of someone with Alzheimer's, may keep them in a more isolated environment. Yeah, something that's and that predictable. Could, and that could add to that that sense, right. of, sense of depression. Yep. And I think it's important to... Um, it's nice to be in that safe area where, where you know what's going to happen, but for your loved one, it's really important to try to maintain their routines that they used to do. If they went grocery shopping every Monday, take them grocery shopping every Monday. They might not know what they want to buy. They might not know what they need to buy, but they still remember, I think I did this every week, you know? And there's a sense of stimulation that exactly. perhaps mm -hmm. that might get them even remembering things and feeling a little more um, alert and attentive mm -hmm. than if they are basically, as you said, kind of stuck away somewhere. Right. Yeah, I think routine is extremely important, especially when you're talking about the differences between the dementia and the depression. And we also have something that we call delirium. Um, so the delirium is, it can present itself as confusion, unable to communicate and things like that, but that usually happens very quickly. And that's where we're going to depend on the health or on the caregivers to let us know if these symptoms have been a long time coming or if it's been very short time coming because that will also help with the diagnosis and the treatments for those. So if you notice that your loved one is confused and getting more confused gradually, that might be a little bit different than what would what we would do if the patient was confused and got confused extremely quickly. Um, the delirium can be fixed with routine, with medications, with treatments, um, whereas the dementia is going to be gradual. That's a very good point, mm -hmm. and I think you must see that in the hospital where a patient um, who changes their environment dramatically and perhaps has some other illness may experience what you call delirium. Yes. They, they really get very disoriented and then some of these other more extreme behaviors show. So I think it's really important for caregivers to be on the lookout for those kinds of changes and to let healthcare workers help them mm -hmm. wherever possible. But there are medications that can help with the depression that might be overlaying the Alzheimer's is and, and have you seen that work we have um, the other thing is we focus on psychosocial treatments as well um, making sure that your loved one is able to go and do their favorite things or see their favorite people if there's a best friend that they they see or they like to talk to you know you should be encouraged them to talk to that person whether it's on the phone or have you know face-to-face meetings every once in a while and even if their communication isn't exactly making sense it's nice for them to still have that social aspect um, I know that we've learned in our geriatric resource nurse course that meal times a lot of times are the loneliest time for an older adult especially someone who has um, dementia uh, in the beginning stages because they may be living at home preparing their meals by themselves at that point but they're used to having family there. They're used to having their kids or their spouse there, and now they're alone eating eating by themselves. And that's a hard thing for them to do, and that causes a lot of loneliness, which could cause depression. So in a sense, what you're saying is keeping someone with Alzheimer's in as much of a social environment that is possible and mm -hmm. where they're, they have some degree of routine and they know that they're going to be doing some familiar activities with familiar faces is really a very important 
support Absolutely. for those yes. people. And also it strikes me that also helps <clears throat> the caregiver in a sense because the caregiver doesn't have all of that responsibility single-handedly on their shoulders. Right. And that's where different kinds of organizations, whether it be a day program for people with Alzheimer's <clears throat> or even sometimes assisted living environments mm -hmm. can provide more of that social environment. How about some of the difficult behaviors we see with uh, uh, people with Alzheimer's and the little bit of time we have left? What do you recommend for things like when someone is very highly agitated or s seems paranoid or even takes off and wanders? And, um, and you can comment on any of those. I think with the communication, you're going to want to, like Kaylin said, live in their world. So if their spouse has died and they woke up that morning thinking that their spouse is still alive, you shouldn't argue with them and tell them, no, you know, dad's died. He's been dead for a year. You know, you shouldn't argue with them. You should just go along with it and say, yes, you know, let's see if we can, maybe he went to the grocery store, maybe he went to the tool shop and things like that. And by the time they say, okay, well, maybe he did go out for a while, they'll forget in a few minutes that he may not be there. So you shouldn't argue with them. You should absolutely just go along with, with um, what they're saying at that time because it can change minute to minute. And the idea is that you try to kind of help the, with the agitation in mm -hmm. that way. How about things like wandering in the very little bit of time we have left? Wandering's definitely tough also. Um, they don't know where they're going. They don't know why they were going there or if they did have a destination that they wanted to put themselves in. They remember it for a little bit and then kind of forget. The best thing is to just know if they're in the house with you, keep locks on the doors. Um, so you really do have to monitor yeah, very it's, carefully. Yeah, it's almost like not to refer them back to it but it's like they've gone back to like a toddler stage you really need to watch where they are make your home environment safe for them again well that's very good advice we'll have some of those links to some of the resources that you suggested on our website and i want to thank you both for coming in it's a very challenging thing but i think one of the things we want to underscore is the caregivers need to care for themselves too Absolutely. and people really seem to forget that a lot mm -hmm. because it's a very very onerous and at the same time rewarding situation. My guests have been Kaylin Brainerd and Lynn Nugent. They're geriatric resource nurses at Upstate Medical University. Once again, thanks for coming in. Thanks I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's Health Link on air.